we don't do this specifically to make better writing at that moment. We use the checklist and the requirements of the minimum rules to create better writers. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, welcome back to our listeners, and welcome back to you, Andrew, for part two. It's good to be here, and what are we talking about today? Teaching writing structure and style. That's right. And we did the structure part last time. Yes. So we got to zoom in on style. Yes. Talk a little bit about some of the history and trivia of Mm -hmm. the stylistic techniques checklist. Yeah. And aren't we also going to talk about our uh, premium subscription? Yes. What people get, mm-hmm. they buy it. They don't even sometimes know what they're getting. Exactly, so. exactly. We find that a lot of our families who have purchased, or teachers who have purchased the updated teaching, writing, structure, and style, don't even activate their premium subscription. And so, hopefully, after today, they'll run to their computers and activate. That's it. horrible. That's like <laughs> winning a lottery ticket and then never cashing it in. <laughs> Just displaying it on your wall. Yay! I won. <laughs> Well, when I think about the structural models, I think of the engine in the car or the frame of the car. It's what gives the car the ability to actually be a car. And it's power. It's guts. Exactly. And when I think about the stylistic techniques, I think about, well, what most women think about when they're choosing a car. What color is it? Sure. Maybe what the seats are like, what the interior, just the fancy. Accessories. Accessories. Absolutely. So we have nine structural models. Those are our nine units. But we have more than nine stylistic Sure, techniques. we have the four categories, dress-ups, openers, decorations, and triple patterns. Mm-hmm. And these, again, like the units, were developed by Dr. Webster over a long period of time. One thing that struck him early on was when he was in school, they really hammered the grammar Mm. Right. And he said he could pick out an adverbial clause from any paragraph anywhere, but not once did any teacher ever suggest that he try and use that Mm. adverbial clause in his own writing. And so what he did was he kind of looked to see, okay, what are the things that good writers do to make their writing more professional or more interesting or a little more uh, descriptive or powerful. And so he identified these six dress-up techniques. I think it was, though, Mrs. Ingham who came up with the term dress-up. I like that. And it fits kind of a younger clientele. and But it makes sense in terms of style. If we think about style probably the easiest way to think about style is clothing, mm-hmm. right? And we can dress for different purposes. We can dress for play and jeans and t-shirt and ripped up tennis shoes, and that's great. We can dress goofy, like a clown going to a costume party or worse. Or <laughs> we could dress up 
uh, for a wedding or a concert or to meet someone important. And so that idea that you can change your style of writing depending on your audience and your purpose, that's a very valuable concept for students to learn. Mm -hmm. And so these first six dress-ups do several things. They uh, reinforce the basic parts of speech. If you want to do an L-Y word, L-Y adverb, you kind of learn what adverbs are by doing them. Right. If you want to do a quality adjective, you generally need to find a noun to go with it. Right, and I like your adjective test. Probably one of the funniest things about English grammar is that English is one of the hardest languages to learn grammar in Mm -hmm. because it's not inflected. So, for example, you can have one word, golf, Mm -hmm. right? Golf could be a noun. Golf is fun. Not true, but it could be a sentence. (laughs) You could use it as an adjective, get in the golf cart. You could use it as a verb. We golf every day. So you can't, as a student, look at the word golf and know what it is. Right. Whereas other languages, I'm familiar with Japanese and Latin, which are very similar in that they have endings that are clearly verbish mm-hmm. or nounish. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at it and say, oh, that is a noun, must be a noun, could not be a noun, that has to be a verb. And so in English, to help children kind of parse the sentence and identify those verbs and adjectives so that they can underline it and check it off on the checklist, which is a real goal, you know, the young child has, <laughs> right. is to have a little template. So if you put the and then a blank and then any noun, I usually use pen, mm-hmm. right? The blank pen, the word that goes in that space and makes grammatical sense would be, out of necessity, an adjective. Right. The happy pen, the remarkable pen, the delicious pen might not be logically possible, but grammatically it makes sense. Hopefully our students are not eating their pens. Well, I've seen some do that, actually. (laughs) I bet you have. Of course, I eat erasers all the time. Yes, you do. (laughs) Same thing with a verb. If you say I blank or it blanks, and the thing that goes there makes a complete sentence, you have uh, a verb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you can determine, is this a strong verb that gives a, a strong image or feeling or kind of a weak, lame, lousy, everyday, lesser impact verb. Mm -hmm. So by modeling, including, and then kind of forcing students by use of a checklist to put in the L-Y adverb, the strong verb, and the quality adjective, we're forcing an awareness of the parts of speech, of the, the four basic ones, noun, verb, adjective, adverb. And that's very, very helpful. In fact, I have taught classes where I've met kids who've been through three years of, you know, you name it, publisher, language arts workbook, sure. blah, blah, grammar, come to my class, still can't find the verb in their own sentence. Right. Well, what have they been doing for three years? But three days with the dress-up checklist, now they know how to find a verb check and see if it's a quality one, and if they want to look for a synonym and replace that, look Mm -hmm. for a substitute. And we strengthen that idea with the banned words list, the words that are not legal in the class, at least right now. And so here's some weak, lame, lousy adjectives. Here's some weak, lame, lousy verbs. 
let's cross those out and put substitutes. Mm -hmm. And of course, some verbs, there's many substitutes. Right. Said, I think, uh, one guy collected up 500 substitutes or synonyms for said. Others like go or went, you know, think, thought. They're easy to look for options. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some are very specific, and so there's fewer options. So you don't want to ban the specific ones, just the ones that are kind of common and lots of options. Adjectives, a little bit fewer bannable adjectives, but some of the blah ones, you know, good, bad, big, cool. <laughs> uh, and and so we sensitize then by use of the checklist and the word lists, which are hopefully on the wall in a classroom or at least in a notebook or on our portable walls product. Mm-hmm. We sensitize the children. Oh, I need to have a strong verb. Let me find a verb. Is that a strong one? If so, good. Underline it. Check it off. You've got it. If not, okay, could I come up with a a substitute, something that might give a better image or feeling? So half or so of the dress-up list is just dealing with word choice Mm -hmm. and inspiring students to look for alternatives to the first thing that comes into their mind. So improving their vocabulary. Exactly. And of course, you know, one of the things that we kind of talk about this in the four deadly errors, one of the things that's very ineffective is to say to a child, well, couldn't you think of a better word here? Because the kid's attitude is, if I could have thought of a better word, I would have thought of a better word. Mm -hmm. So, you know, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't kind of make sense. Whereas if you give them word lists and say, somehow you've got to work one or more of these words on this list of good quality words into this paragraph, then you're forcing that idea of, hmm, could I find a better word or at least a different one? Mm -hmm. So it creates this automatic way of writing where children are always kind of thinking, is this the best word I could use? Is there a better word? Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is at the crux of style is the appropriate word in the appropriate way. Now, the other half of the dress-ups are the who-which clause, the adverb clause, which we sometimes call the when, while, where, as, since, if, although, or more affectionately, the www.asia. Right. And then the because clause, which is a subset of an adverb clause. These are forcing more sophisticated sentences than children will naturally write. Most of us, left on our own devices and without any input or motivation or requirement, would probably write the way we speak. Right. I mean, that would be natural. But if you listen to the way people speak, it's in a fairly predictable, easy to understand, but not really sophisticated grammatical pattern, especially children. Mm-hmm. So they'll tend to just have, you know, subject, predicate, subject, predicate, subject, predicate, and make a series of simple statements. I like to fish. Fishing is fun. I go fishing with my grandpa. We have a lot of fun when we fish. Fishing is awesome, Mm -hmm. right? Typical. And to have that as a conversation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. But to have that as writing. It's it's pretty tedious. So what do we do? We force in, okay, now you're going to have to connect two ideas or enhance an idea by using an adjective clause. The tool for that is using the word who or which, and so you then end up adding in 
or connecting ideas to make more sophisticated sentences. Mm -hmm. I enjoy fishing, which I do with my grandpa regularly. Okay, Mm -hmm. now what have you got? You got two statements, but they're connected, so it's a more complex sentence, and you added in a strong verb, enjoy, and you've put in the L-Y regularly and Boom. Wow, you've got three dress-ups in that one sentence. Good yeah, job. so it's not hard to get six dress-ups in one paragraph when <laughs> right. you can, pre- after a while, get three in one in set. In fact, we see some boys, once they learn all six, they'll get all six in the very first sentence just so they can <laughs> check it all off and, and be done with it. Well, and that actually begs the question, adding in all these dress-ups in every paragraph, does that necessarily translate into good writing? Well, it, it certainly can translate into a stretch for some people. Certainly, if you pick a random good or great book off the shelf here Mm -hmm. in our wonderful library room, Mm -hmm. and you open it to a random paragraph, you're likely to discover that every paragraph in every book by every author does not have all six dress-ups. Right. But you are likely to find those techniques interspersed throughout the writing appropriately. So one of the things I try to make clear in the TWSS is that we don't do this specifically to make better writing at that moment, although it might. Mm-hmm. We do it, we use the checklist and the requirements of the minimum rules to create better writers. Mm-hmm. And then we use the analogy. Uh, it's like doing wind sprints and sit-ups. You don't do that so you can show off your wind sprints and sit-ups. <laughs> you do it so you do better at the game. Mm-hmm. Scales and etudes. You can move to a musical analogy. You don't do scales, etudes, and exercises to perform them for people. You do them so that when you play the orchestra piece or the concerto, that skill is in place. Right. Running with weights. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't run with weights so that you can go faster. <laughs> you run with weights so that when you take them off, you're freer mm-hmm. and you can do more and go faster. So I think people who work in the area of skills development, whether it's uh, sports or music or art of some kind, can understand this idea that, that this, isn't, this is a technical approach to developing skills. Right. And so, yes, there are requirements. You follow the requirements. And somewhere down the line, three, four, five years of practicing, and it's and you can do it all and it's pretty easy, well, then you graduate. Right. Then you can use or not use, as all the good authors do, the technique at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. And what you're graduating from really is the stylistic technique checklist, but you'll always use the structural models. Yes, and the structural models may have combination and permutations, too. Right. You may understand a three-paragraph model for writing a story, but then do multiple paragraphs for your characters and setting and multiple paragraphs for your problem and different obstacles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe a whole section on the, the climax moment. So you might take that three-paragraph and spin it into five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten paragraphs or right. more right. and write a more detailed short story. Once you understand and internalize these things, these are the tools. These are the tools you'll carry around all life. Right. Just to, because I know we'll run out of time here and there's so much to talk (laughs) about. The sentence openers Mm -hmm. is the second category of stylistic techniques. Generally, we recommend that people teach the dress-ups first because you get a little more of basic grammar reinforcement. But the sentence openers are also very powerful 
to make your writing sound more literary, more engaging. Uh, again, if, if you start every sentence with the subject, it, it gets hypnotic, monotonous, right. painful mm-hmm. almost. And the good authors don't do that. And the good books on writing will always say, vary your sentence pattern. Right. The question for the teacher and the student is, how do we learn to vary a sentence pattern? And uh, so Webster created these six openers based on having variety, but not overwhelming complexity. There's a program, evidently was, was popular years ago. He ran into it. I've never actually seen the thing, but it was, I think, called Power Writing. Mm-hmm. And in this program, they had 30-some different sentence patterns mm. Uh, that used different phrases and clauses at the beginning and the middle and the end of the sentence. And you had to kind of gradually learn 30 different sentence patterns. Wow. And then the assignment would be something like, write the paragraph using sentence pattern number 9, number 14, number 17, number 21, number 30. And you're like, oh, gosh. Oh, boy. The, The point was it wasn't practical. Maybe it was developing the same type of skill, targeted that, and probably good for some people. (laughs) But for your average student, just too complex. Mm -hmm. So Webster's idea with six basic openers, the subject opener, which you don't even have to teach because we do that all the time anyway. And then the prepositional phrase opener, the LY for number three, those are pretty natural. We use prepositional phrases all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Putting an LY word in a sentence, sometimes it can go as the first word, sometimes it go in the middle, sometimes it go anywhere. Right. And having lists of good LY adverbs to choose off, nice transitional word types. Then uh, number four gets a little bit tricky. It's probably the least colloquial of our openers, and that's the ING, or, or the participle mm-hmm. opener. This gives the teachers an opportunity to point out, well, what is a participle? You know, And rather than identifying it, learning it by creating it. Right. And what's so exciting is when students learn to create these things, right, put it in the paragraph, underline it, check it off, I made that happen, then they'll start to see it mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can bang your head against the wall trying to get middle schoolers to f- see similes in the literature they're reading, make them do some similes for a while, they'll start to see it everywhere. Right, right. I, I'm reminded of the story you tell about your daughter finding some dress-ups and sentence openers in an author's writing. Yes, yes. It was uh, Redwall, Brian okay. Jacques. And uh, she's reading it all, and she goes, Dad, did Brian Jacques take Webster's writing program? <laughs> I said, well, I, I don't think so. She goes, well, he seems like it, because listen to this. And then she reads me a sentence, whatever, and he goes... Look at that. And she names all the things. You know, it's a, a L-Y opener with a triple verb and a, <laughs> and a simile all in one sentence. You know, <laughs> Of course, you know, Brian Jacques is a skilled writer, and he knows those things by having learned them somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, for her, it was exciting to see this, you know, great author that she respected doing the very things she was trying to learn right. in the writing class I was forcing her to sit through. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Number four, ING or participle. Number five, clausal opener. Again, the use of the one while we're essence of although. And then the very short sentence. Right. Those are the basic six. And then mm-hmm. we have since then noted the need for a couple others, one being a transitional opener. We call it a T. Mm-hmm. And that would be starting with a 
usually a non-subordinating conjunction or a non-ly <laughs> adverb, words like however, thus, indeed, mm-hmm. and that's a handy one to practice a little bit, have a list, so we added that in, and then uh, occasionally use of a fragment or a question. So the sentence openers are, are very powerful. In fact, I had a woman, this is years ago, she came to my seminar, she was a teacher, and I was doing teacher training for a school district. And so she came to the seminar and did all the practicums and everything. And a year passed and I came back to that district and she came up and talked to me and she said, I just wanted to let you know, last year I was working on my master's thesis Mm. and I came to your seminar and I went home and I read my master's thesis that I was working on. And I saw that, you know, over 80% of my sentences all started with the subject. So I just kind of next draft, rewrote it, switched things up, put in some, you know, greater variety of sentence openers. And my my mentor, who was you know, a supervisor of my thesis, uh, he said to me, wow, I, I'm not sure quite what you did, but this reads so much smoother. Mm-hmm. And she just laughed and thought, it wasn't magic. It wasn't even hard. It was just knowing the openers and knowing how to mix things up and and create that variety that we, I think, all appreciate when we're reading things. Right. And we often hear, do you have any writing course that will teach adults how to write? And I think this course is the one. Oh, good heavens. I have had so many people. Mm -hmm. If I had a dollar for each one, I could pay off my mortgage probably. (laughs) Say, if I had only known this in high school or college, my life would have been so much better. Right. And I have dads sometimes, you know, homeschool dads are dragged into the seminar, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, maybe they aren't all that thrilled about being there. But after the first session, they'll come up at the break and say mm-hmm. things like, oh, this is fantastic. I don't really want to come, but this is going to help me so much in my ministry and my business and my right. work, whatever. Right. And so it's very gratifying. Mm-hmm. So yes, I mean, while we sell it, as a teacher training course for teachers and homeschool moms, tutors, etc. It really is the whole enchilada right. and is the right course for an adult who is serious about wanting to improve their own writing skills. Right. So we hit two of the four categories of stylistic techniques. You want to touch on decorations? That's one of my favorites. Well, the decorations are essentially a few, a very few, of what we might call figures of speech, Mm -hmm. or sometimes they're called literary devices. Right. And, uh, you know, if you Google up figures of speech and classical rhetoric, there are dozens, Mm -hmm. maybe even over a hundred of these things. A lot of them have fancy Greek-sounding names, and some of them are so similar to others, it's hard to tell the difference. But I think what Webster did, he said, let's take the six easiest to understand, most useful, that make the biggest difference in the writing and teach these to kids. And then if we want to expand that list, you know, if a teacher wants to add to the decorations, sure, it's virtually unlimited. Right. But we start with the idea of a question. It's a rhetorical question, and it is a device. Sometimes it's appropriate to ask a question, sometimes it isn't. So you can't force every decoration into every paragraph the way you 
canned dress-ups mm-hmm. because they just aren't going to happen. And if you did, it would get to be pretty absurd pretty quickly. Like someone wearing just way too much jewelry <laughs> right. just looks goofy. Bling. <laughs> Bling. So question, quotation, using a, a quotation sometimes of a famous person or maybe an allusion to a quotation. Mm-hmm. That would qualify. We have the simile and metaphor. You can teach those separate or together. And like I said, as soon as you teach it and help kids create those simile and metaphors, they start to recognize it elsewhere and say, oh, that was a great simile, and build up a repertoire of ideas they can use. And then my two favorite, alliteration and three SSS. Well, alliteration is natural for children. And a lot of children's books are written with a lot of alliteration Mm -hmm. because it does have that appeal. And the three SSS is a use of the very short sentence intentionally three times in a row. Mm-hmm. And it has that kind of punch to it. Mm-hmm. Ba-ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, ba-ba, right? <laughs> and we have different patterns, like parallel pattern, five words, five words, five words, four, 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 three, 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 or descending pattern, five words, four words, three words, four, three, two. So they can experiment with that. And I think the last one would be the dramatic opening and closing. Right. Another use of a short sentence at the very beginning and the end to kind of frame a paragraph with a punch at the beginning, topic sentence, details, blah, 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 or whatever you're doing, and a little punch at the end that may reflect in some way. So these are, you know, a few of these figures of speech. Maybe the listeners would like to hear the division figures of speech actually divided into two basic categories, Mm. schemes and tropes. Schemes are those things which appeal to the senses. And we use the word rhyme scheme, Mm. right? In a poem, what's the rhyme scheme, you know, A, B, A, B kind of rhyme scheme. And, and when we hear rhyming, when we hear assonance, when we hear alliteration, when we hear the rhythmic power of the ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-ba-ba, right, that appeals to the sound, the music of language. And then tropes, T-R-O-P-E-S, these are things which appeal to the imagination. So simile and metaphor, question personification would be another example of a trope. Onomatopoeia, on the other hand, would be another example of a scheme. Mm -hmm. So anyone who wants to study this can do it very easily. Mm -hmm. Classical rhetoric websites are happy to list them. You can look up different schemes and tropes on Wikipedia entries, and they have great examples of different stylistic techniques, uh, figures of speech on Wikipedia. Great. And there are great examples of these figures of speech on Wikipedia. In fact, can I tell you my new favorite one? Sure. I was looking up for an example of parallelism. Okay. Right, parallelism. Mm -hmm. You kind of intuit that from the name, but what does it really mean? You're talking in parallel construction. So I found this gem by one of the greatest users of English of all time, Winston Churchill. So here it is. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. Oh, nice. Isn't that great? <laughs> yes. It's, it's got that beautiful equal, unequal, virtue, vice, sharing, sharing, blessings, miseries, all the way through. Right. And of course, it's 
got this kind of pithy Twain-esque painful truth underneath it all. So I guess then we have the triples, and those are forms of parallelism. We can do triple anything, and that's all in our seminars. So people can experiment. So that's kind of the overview, structure, and style. A lot of times teachers look at the style, and they say, ooh, that's going to instantly improve my kid's writing. And it may or may not, but the goal isn't better writing at the moment. It's more skilled writers. Yes. And then I see, as you have seen over the years, the structural models being, like you said, the engine of the car Mm. that really drive the development of the thinking skills and the organization and the the deeper levels there. So we redid this seminar just a year and a half ago, Andrew. We were in the recording studio for four days. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Yes, yes. You slave driver, you. I know. (laughs) But it turned out great, didn't it? It was so worth it. And And we we put on subtitles. Mm -hmm. We had requests, deaf families and teachers for Mm -hmm. subtitles. And we also put on Spanish subtitles. So people who would learn better by being able to read in their first language if it's Spanish. Right. And then we tried to add value. Yes, we did. Because what we had before was so valuable, but it still needed that little bit of extra help because this is something very new. No one else is really teaching it this way. So we added a premium subscription. Mm-hmm. And that comes with the purchase one year to a, all the stuff on our website that you might normally have to pay for or mm-hmm. not even have access to. Right. I think as I'm looking at the list here, it's Pretty much all of my audio talks. Well, we add in a few every year and take a few off okay. every year. But uh, some of the great ones, you know, but 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 what about grammar, developing the essays, fairy tales and the moral imagination, four deadly errors, mm-hmm. such a good one for people to hear. Mm-hmm. Freedom ship education, humor and teaching and speaking, that's a funny one, obviously should be. Oh, the four language arts, the whole thing, on listening, on reading, on speaking, on writing. Right. Pen and paper, that's a new one. Uh, Mrs. Ingham, Poetry as Integrator, mm-hmm. and the Music Talk, which mm-hmm. is a separate product we sell for right. 15 or so. And, oh, the Seven Keys of Great Teaching. Gosh, I want to go re-listen to some of my old talks right Right, now. right. Adv- they get the advanced vocabulary and spelling? For what? They get one level this year. Wow. They get the... That, and that normally sells for, what, 30, 39 something? For the whole course. So we're just giving okay. them one level. One level, okay. Yep. And then PDFs, our reading list, student resource notebook, posters, the, the mini posters they can print out, and access to monthly webinars, right. which normally are $5. Mm-hmm. And so they get the whole year of that at no cost, or no added cost. Right. So if you have purchased our TWSS2, right. either new in the box or the upgrade option that we offered, you get one year of premium content. Right. So we actually package this two ways now uh-huh. because we're finding that, especially our younger clientele, meaning they're in their 20s and 30s, they don't have a DVD player in their home anymore. And so we don't even sell them the DVD. So you save a little money, you get the syllabus, and you get the premium content, which includes video streaming. Video streaming of the whole, of the whole seminar, thing. all 12 discs. Absolutely. Now... Everybody's going to ask, after the year, mm-hmm. how much does it cost right. well, we to renew? Right. This is a really good question. And we wrestled with this for a long time because if you were just to purchase a premium subscription by itself, not buying anything else for that very first year, it's 
it's a $99 purchase. And we decided, well, we really want people to continue with the training because this isn't a one year deal. This is year after year. So you and I talked and I believe you were the one as generous as you are that decided that we only wanted to charge $29 to renew this. So anyone whose premium subscription is about to expire, you get an email invitation to renew at only $29 with a special link. All right. Well, you've done a great job putting that all together. And I think this is going to be our legacy product. Here. I think so. We don't ever have to redo it, do we? I don't think we ever have to redo this one okay. again. Good. But I, you mentioned this, and I just want to be sure that we're really clear on one of the things that you alluded to is our upgrade. So if you own the Teaching Writing Instruction Style First Edition, and you purchase that new either from a reseller or from us, you can go to our website, iew.com slash upgrade. The details are there to how to just return the DVDs, not the whole notebook. You want to keep that notebook. I still have my original notebook uh-huh. from all those years ago. <laughs> Don't want to ever give them. that up. Yes, probably a few of them. But we just turn return the DVDs, and then we will send you a brand new in-the-box TWSS second edition with the DVDs, just in case you have a DVD player. And the premium subscription. And the premium subscription for first year. For $59. No, it's actually only $30 to upgrade. $30. Yes, yes. So details are on our website. And you'll know that people will know they have the old version if they look at it and see a younger, thinner version of me and wearing the elephant tie. Yes. That's the key. If you see the elephant tie, you know it's old. If you see the cool purple striped mm-hmm. tie, then you'll know it's the new one. Yes. All right. Well, we better wrap it up, huh? Yep. Sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.